Isn't it wonderful to be able to worship God? What a privilege that uh, we have been given today to be able to assemble and to worship and to encourage one another. And uh, of course, we have our third Sunday Youth Day going on today, and we're thankful for that as well. And again, we're very thankful for all of you who are visiting with us today, and we have quite a few. Please, if you haven't already, fill out a visitor's card so that we can have a record of you being with us and give us an opportunity to be able to talk with you and to, to meet you a little bit before you leave uh, before you leave here this afternoon. To put it mildly, I think, we can say that the COVID-19 pandemic changed things. In fact, it changed a lot of things in our world, in our country in particular. A number of societal changes, things like vocabulary, for example, we learned a, a number of new words. It changed how we work, it changed how we shop, it changed how we interact. It changed many things, and many of those changes will, at least to some degree, probably be with us for a long time, if not, if not uh, permanently. But I think also, in addition to changing a lot of things, it also identified a lot of things for us, things that maybe we weren't sure were going on, or maybe we had some idea they perhaps were percolating beneath the surface, a number of problems, a number of challenges, a number of things that existed in society before COVID-19 showed up were simply magnified by its presence. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the pandemic revealed that there are actually another, a, a, a number of other kinds of pandemics that have been and continue to go on in our country and in our world. And I would like this morning for us to spend some time discussing just, uh, just one of those things. Alcohol. Believe it or not, I would feel confident in saying that alcohol could and probably should be classified as a pandemic in our world. Stop for a moment and just think about the major part or the major role in our culture that alcohol plays. It's on practically every movie and every television show. It finds its way into many, if not most, songs that are produced and sung on the radio. We see it on billboards when we're driving down the road. We see it in restaurants. We go to a baseball game or a football game and we see it all around us. Alcohol is such a major part of our culture that most people don't give it even a second thought. In fact, many people look at it as something that is just sort of a, a rite of passage. It's just part of, of who we are as people and who we are as uh, citizens of the United States of America. But I want to suggest to you this morning that we're Christians, and because we're Christians, we have to learn to view alcohol in general in a different way. We can't see it as something that is only so somewhat problematic, as most people in the world do, but we've got to learn to see alcohol in exactly the way that God sees it. This morning, what I'd like for us to do is just divide our study into two parts. Number one, we'll talk about the problem, and then number two, we'll talk about the solution. 
And what I'd like to do as we begin our study is I would like to just bring to your attention some facts and some figures and some data that was released over the last several months that, in my judgment, will absolutely tell us beyond any question that alcohol is a pandemic. And then I want us to look at what the Bible says and how the Bible describes alcohol and what you're going to find, maybe surprisingly, is that everything that the world has just figured out over the last several months, the Bible has said all along. And then when we look at the solution this morning, we'll talk about some principles, some principles and ask some questions that we ought to, as New Testament Christians, be thinking about and being apply, applying to our lives as we try to be more like God and as we try to see this problem in the way that God sees it. So let's talk about the problem. I want you to think with me for a moment about this term, essential business. We're all familiar with it. I'll admit to you that I never gave it a, even a thought before COVID-19, but immediately we were learning about essential businesses. Now, as you look at how that is defined from state to state, you will notice that there was a little bit of difference from maybe one state to the next, but basically, the term essential business means any service without which society cannot function. Any service without which society cannot function. So when you start thinking about services without which we cannot function, immediately you think about things like grocery stores and utility companies, and rightly so, because we need those kinds of things in order to live. But surprisingly enough, throughout our country, liquor stores were also deemed an essential business. And there were a lot of people who were wondering, well, why, why is it that alcohol stores and marijuana dispensaries as well why is it that they were classified as being essential businesses along with the electric company and the gas company and the doctor's office and the grocery store? What makes these things like the other? Let me show you some, some evidence and some things that have been given in order to try and answer that question. There was a Newsweek article that was entitled, Why Are Liquor Stores and Marijuana Dispensaries Considered Essential Business? This article came out, I believe, in April or May of last year, and I don't have all of the quotes before you because it's just too long, but let me just read some of the things that that article uh, identified. First of all, the article said, quote, officials and advocates believe that these stores are an essential component of the broader health care system. I want you to stop and simmer on that just for a moment. We're asking why alcohol stores are essential, and what we're told is because many people believe that these are essential parts of the health care system. In fact, there was a quote in the article from the governor of New Jersey. His name is Phil Murphy. And at a press conference, whenever he was uh, addressing various things related to COVID, he told a story about a woman who came to him, and this is his quote from the Newsweek article. She was, quote, on her knees, profusely thanking me for keeping the liquor stores open as it relates to just the whole addiction front. She said that the alternative would have been crushing for a lot of people. In that same article, 
the director of the NIAA, which is uh, short for the uh, National Institute of Alcohol and Alcoholism, I believe. His name is George F. Mood, and here's what he said. He said, each year there are roughly 250,000 emergency department visits and 850 deaths related to alcohol withdrawal. Abruptly limiting access to alcohol could lead to an increase in withdrawal among people with severe alcohol use disorder and add to the burden of the health care system. He then went on to add that there are a number of people who tend to turn to alcohol in order to cope with duress. Now I want you to stop with me for just a moment and see if we can sort of summarize and come to terms with those two bits of data in our minds just for, for just for a minute before we move on. You see, what this article is identifying for us is that in our country, we have such a problem with alcohol that if the powers that be determined that liquor stores were not essential, we would have created a second health crisis in the midst of the, the COVID crisis because there are so many people in this country who are so dependent upon alcohol that they could not have functioned properly without it. And even more than that, when the writer or when the director of the NIAA talks about withdrawal symptoms, he's not just talking about how those symptoms would affect the person who is going through withdrawal, but how the people around that person would be affected. You take an alcoholic's drug away from him and all of a sudden, maybe in his withdrawal, he becomes angry and he becomes violent and now we have moms and dads and wives and children and other people who are going to suffer perhaps emotionally, psychologically and maybe even physically because all of a sudden, alcohol is not available. If you think about it, really, that seems to me exactly what Isaiah had in mind when he talked about the fact that the people were adding sin to sin. America and the world literally put itself in an impossible situation because to take away one thing that is sinful and causes problems creates an entirely different set of problems and sin and devastation. So what to do? I found this article as well, or this quotation. This is an article from a philosopher named Peg O'Connor from Psychology Today, and she was also dealing with the question of why alcohol and liquor stores were deemed essential. And I want you to listen to what she says. I know this is going to be maybe a little bit difficult to read, but I'll read it in its entirety. She said, liquor is essential, listen to this, because many people believe it is essential to them. This is a peek into the American psyche. Simply put, the United States is a country steeped in alcohol. Our culture is saturated. Not only do we have the right to drink, but we tell ourselves in all sorts of ways we deserve to drink. We work hard, so we deserve a drink. We've had a bad day, so we deserve a drink to take the edge off. We finally turned 21, so we deserve to drink. Times are tough or times are totally great, we deserve to drink. We're scared, we deserve to drink. Rites of passage are all occasions deserving of alcoholic beverages. 
We drink alcohol to amplify feelings or to regulate them. Liquor comes to feel essential because we live in a culture that treats it as such. We treat it as such. I want you to really hone in on those last couple of sentences. Liquor comes to feel essential because we live in a culture that treats it that way. We, and she's talking about the American people collectively, we treat it that way. Here are another few bits of data. During the first month of the pandemic, when things started to close, online sales of alcohol rose 243%. And there is an app called Drizzle, and this particular app is uh, an app in which you can, again, order alcohol online, and that the number of new membership growth for them in one month was up 1,600%. The use of alcohol in general, but particularly during the pandemic, became so high that health experts all over the world began to sort of sound the alarm along the same line as what we're talking about this morning. That in the middle of a pandemic, we had another growing health crisis where health, they expect long-term negative health impacts as a result of alcohol consumption during COVID, as well as increase in substance abuse and various unhealthy lifestyles. In fact, alcohol use grew so much during COVID that the World Health Organization issued a statement telling people that the consumption of alcohol compromises the immune system, and so people needed to stop consuming it in such vast quantities because they were handicapping their body's ability to prevent and to fight away COVID. So again, just tallying up where we are so far, we've got evidence that tells us that in America... Alcohol is such a part of our culture that in general we've become to feel like it's just our right and it's part of everyday life. We also have a culture in which during a pandemic we were forced to declare alcohol being essential for fear of causing more physical harm to people and their loved ones, but maybe even sadder. We have data that has showed us that during the pandemic, one reason that alcohol sales and consumption grew so much is not because people are all alcoholics, but because there are a vast number of people who literally did not know how to cope with the stress and the anxiety of a pandemic without alcohol. So we're talking about an industry, if I can be blunt, that literally destroys lives and destroys families. We're talking about an industry that, although it's popularized and although it's glamorized, in reality, the end result of this whole industry is painful death, like cirrhosis car accidents with drunk drivers, mothers and fathers becoming alcoholics to the point where they uh, waste family money in trying to fulfill their need, children and spouses who are abused and who are 
neglected and people whose psychology is so fragile that they cannot cope with the issues of life without what literally is a drug. Now, all of these things are pieces of information that those in the world became very cognizant of during the COVID pandemic. All you've got to do is go search a few things in Google. That's what I did, and you'll find all of this and even more. We could spend two or three hours going over nothing but documentation from various organizations and news articles and so many different pieces of data will just continue to shed light on the fact that this is a major, major problem in our world. But as I mentioned to you earlier, what everyone simply seems to be just figuring out, the Bible has said it all along. Listen to just some of these passages. This isn't an exhaustive list at all, but here are some. In Proverbs 20 and verse 1, the Proverbs writer says that alcohol will deceive you. It will trick you. He says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler and whoever is deceived by it is not wise. He will also go on and tell us in Proverbs 21, verse 17, and also Proverbs 23, 21, that alcohol is going to rob from you. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs 21, 17. Proverbs 23, 21. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. How about this one? Hosea 4 and verse number 11. Harlotry, wine, and new wine destroy, or excuse me, enslave the heart. Now, that's not language that we typically like to use in our society, in our culture. We don't like to talk about being enslaved to anything, but the Bible says that people become enslaved to, to alcohol. Isn't that what all of these pieces of data and these um, quotes and uh, news articles have basically illustrated to us? That too many people are enslaved to alcohol. What about the passage that Carson read for us a moment ago? Proverbs 23, verse 29. The, the Proverbs writer Solomon asks, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine, he says. But that's not the only thing that the Bible tells us. When we talk about alcohol, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is alcoholism, is, is drunkenness. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a serious issue that we're talking about, not because of physical health, but because it also has bearing on where we'll spend eternity. In fact, so serious is this problem that earlier in the same book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 11, the Apostle Paul said, if you have a brother or a sister in Christ who is a drunkard, you don't have anything to do with them. In fact, he says, don't even sit down and have a meal with them. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, a drunkenness is listed in the list of the works of the flesh. And listen to what Paul said in Romans 13, 13. He said, let us walk properly 
as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Notice the connection. There's a contrast here. We're told to walk properly. What is walking properly? Well, it's defined in verse 14 as putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. The opposite of walking properly is, in, is improperly, and the opposite of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is putting on the flesh. That's the end of verse 14. Well, how does he define putting on the flesh or making provision for the flesh in verse 13? Revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust and strife and envy. Now, you might be thinking, well, look, you know, those passages are pretty clear, but it seems that those passages really are talking about someone who engages in too much alcohol. We're talking about alcoholism or drunkenness or, or being habitual in drinking. Well, let me say a couple of things about that. First of all, there's a lot to be said about the word wine in the Bible, and uh, that's another discussion for another time. But to suffice it to say, just because the Bible uses the word wine doesn't mean it's talking about intoxicating wine. Uh, that depends on the particular word, and it also depends upon the context. Here's another thing to consider, and more about this just in, uh, in just a moment. The Bible obviously condemns drunkenness, but now you define drunkenness. Let people define drunkenness for themselves, and I think that you'll find that being drunk is different for every person, depending on a number of factors. But here's the real key, and again, more about this later. Being drunk has to start somewhere. It starts with getting. It's a process that begins. It has a starting point. And what the Bible will tell us is don't even begin the process of getting to that point. But before we get there, go back to Proverbs chapter 23 for a moment. We stopped at verse number 30, but look at what the writer said in verse 31. Solomon, it sounds like you're talking about folks who spend too much time drinking and folks who are alcoholics, but Solomon says, no, you don't understand. Verse 31, don't even look at it. I'm not, don't think about drinking a little bit of it. Don't think about any of it. Don't even look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly, verse 31. Don't look at it because at the last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. That last part about biting like a serpent and stinging like a viper, what that's all about is the fact that a person says, well, look, I can have a little bit and it's not going to hurt me. And then before long, they've been bit. That's the nature of alcohol, according to Proverbs chapter 23. But look with me at a New Testament passage, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. This is one that we looked at recently, and I think that it deserves our attention again this morning. Three words, particularly, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 3 are of note. Paul says, or Peter says, rather, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles... When we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries, I want you to look at three words in that list that all generally sound the same. Drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties. Now we're looking at words in the, that are translated from the Greek New Testament and I'm going to give you what their definition is. 
Drunkenness literally is an overflowing with wine. That's pretty self-explanatory. It's an overflowing with wine. Revelries are what we would refer to as drunken riots. Think uh, Mardi Gras. But drinking parties at the end of the verse, that's what's very particularly interesting because, you see, what that word in the original language actually indicates is assembling for the purpose of drinking. Now, that assembly is not defined. In other words, he's not saying, well, I'm only talking about big parties or big assemblies where people assemble for the purpose of drinking. He's talking about any assembling for the purpose of, dr- for the purpose of drinking. So sometimes we refer to things like happy hour, or maybe we're talking about uh, uh, alcohol at a big event like a wedding or something like that. Any of those things would fall under the definition of this word assembling, drinking party, or assembling for the purpose of drinking. Now let's stop for a moment and recap. We're talking about the problem. We've seen the problem. Society sees the problem. They have seen the problem even more vividly over the last year and a half. But what does the Bible say? What has God said about this problem all along? He said, look, alcohol is bad news. Alcohol is something that destroys. It robs. It mocks you. It deceives you. It enslaves you. It causes all kinds of misery and woe and heartache. And it will, alcoholism, the Bible says, will keep you out of heaven. And as Christians, he says, look, We can't have anything to do with it. Now let's look at the solution. I want you to look with me in your Bible at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. There's an important passage here, an important word that we need to think about. In my judgment, this is really really the end of the discussion for all things alcohol. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. I told you earlier that what we really need to do is we really need to learn how to view alcohol the way God views it. Society paints a beautiful picture, that's true. Society paints an amazing picture of alcohol. Just look at how happy the people are in the commercials on television. They don't show you in the Bud Light commercial during the Super Bowl what happens the morning after when everyone has a hangover or when there's uh, car accidents or unplanned pregnancies or any number of other issues that come from what people did with alcohol the night before. Society wants us to see how pretty it is. But here's the reality. Last Thanksgiving... My family and I were traveling and we stopped at Brahms because you can't pass a Brahms without stopping. And as we sat and we were eating, we looked over to our left and in this booth on the day before Thanksgiving, there is a teenage boy and his mom and before we knew it, mom was on the floor. Everyone gets up. Everyone sees to her. At first, we thought she had a stroke. Her eyes were, uh, uh, were sunken in. She couldn't talk. There were a number of things about her that were indicative of a stroke until someone looked over at her son and with the most embarrassed look on his face said, she's drunk. So we had to pick her up and carry this woman to the car so that her teenage son could drive his mother home 
on the night before Thanksgiving from Brahms in Hillsboro, Texas because she was too inebriated to be able to take care of her child. That's the reality that the world doesn't want you to see. Now look at 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me at the word sober. The definition of that word, and I'm not talking about the English definition, I'm talking about the definition of the Greek term in the original language. It literally means being free of any intoxicant or anything else that will blur judgment and compromise self-control. And this is a quote from the uh, Bible background commentary. This particular scholar says that sobriety in ancient usage, listen to this, meant not only literal abstinence from drink, but also behaving as a non-intoxicated person should, hence with dignified self-control. So we're looking at a word which a... Uh, a, a dictionary will tell us when the ancients used this word, they meant two things. Number one, literal abstinence from alcohol, and number two, behaving as a non-intoxicated person should. And we're also looking at a word that properly defined means to be completely free from intoxicants or anything else that will blur our judgment or compromise our self-control. And I'm going to submit to you this morning that it is impossible to do that while drinking alcohol to any degree at all. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for a moment, verse 7 and 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. What I want us to see from these two passages, from 1 Peter 1 and from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is that there is to be this great contrast between the children of light and the children of darkness. There is a certain way that people behave in darkness and there is a certain way that people behave when they're Christians and when they're living in the light. And you see, we've already talked about the devastating consequences and the carnage that alcohol produces in the world. And what I'm trying to, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that what God wants for Christians to do is to stand above and beyond all of that. He doesn't want us to have any participation in or, he, or anything to do with this thing and this entire industry which is shrouded in darkness. Another passage, look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. In Ephesians 5 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul gives us this command. He says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be Filled with the Spirit. I want you to look with me at the first part of that passage. Do not be drunk with wine. Well, we mentioned this a few moments ago, or at least alluded to it, but of course we recognize, and this is true medically and scientifically, that, that being drunk is a little bit different for different people based on factors like height and weight and tolerance and um, uh, metabolism and all of, this, all of these other things. We recognize that. 
But this passage here says something that really makes all of that of no uh, matter at all. Because the grammar of this passage literally is, do not be being drunk. That's a literal translation. Do not be being drunk. What that identifies is a process. It's the process of becoming drunk. And Paul says, don't start the process. In fact, he says, instead of starting the process, back to our two previous passages about standing above and beyond all of this, he says, be filled with the Spirit. If you're going to be controlled by something, don't be controlled by, this, uh, by alcohol, but rather be controlled by the Spirit of God. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Who could argue that drinking to any degree is not in some way related to the flesh and making provision for it? We are to be holy as God is holy. 1 Peter 1 and verse 16. Holiness is sanctification and separation. We're told to come out of the world. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. We're told to be different. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. And the question that I would like to ask is how can we fulfill these divine obligations while at the same time condoning or participating in something which is so wicked and which God so clearly condemns. I want, you to, I want you to look with me at this picture just for a moment as we bring our lesson to a close. I'm not sure how well you can see that, but you're, you're looking at a picture of the uh, Het Hetchy Reservoir in Yosemite National Park. Now the significance of that picture is that the total... Uh, the total volume of that reservoir when it's full is 117 billion gallons. That's billion with a B. 117 billion gallons. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about this morning? Here's what it, here's what it has to do. According to a website that collects data on alcohol globally, alcohol.org, 117 billion gallons also happens to be the total amount of alcohol consumed around the globe every year. Everyone, the, the total consumption globally of alcohol is equal to the full capacity of the Het Hetchy Reservoir in Yosemite National Park. To put it another way, the human body contains five liters of blood. 117 billion gallons is equal to the total bloodstream of 89 million people, and that would be almost 10 times the total population of the world. So again, we're talking about a different kind of pandemic. We're talking about a pandemic in which globally people, uh, people uh, consume more alcohol than the total blood supply of 10 times the total world population. So what am I saying? What, what do I want us to get from this lesson this morning? Here's what I want us to get. I want to encourage all of us to begin looking at alcohol the way God looks at alcohol. When we walk through the grocery store and we see the wine aisle or when we 
are watching a movie and we see people who are gathered together drinking or when we see the commercial on television or in whatever way that we see alcohol presented in a positive light in this world, when we see that, don't think about that. Think about Proverbs 23 and following and woe and sorrow. Think about Proverbs 20 and verse number 1 and deception. Think about, uh, think about being in the people who are enslaved to it. Think about wives who are beaten by their alcoholic husbands. Think about children who scream in horror and in pain as they watch all of that happen. Think about car accidents that happen because of alcohol. Think about painful and terrible deaths of cirrhosis of the liver that comes as a result of this stuff. But most importantly, think about Christ on the cross. Think about the pain and the agony that he endured on the behalf of all of humanity for the purpose of washing away sin and of defeating the exact kind of wickedness that we have been talking about today. Don't look at it positively, not even a little bit. Learn to look at it the way God does and recognize that ultimately that's what put Jesus on the cross. This morning, the lesson is yours. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation, and it may be that there's someone here who has a desire to respond, perhaps to become a Christian. The Bible teaches us that God's desire is for everyone to become a Christian, for everyone to obey the gospel, to believe in the deity of Jesus, and to repent of sins and confess faith and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. Maybe this morning you stand in a position where you are ready to make that commitment. We would love nothing more than to help you to do it. Maybe this morning you are a Christian and there are some things that you're struggling with in your life. Maybe some sin has crept in and, and can we pray for you? Can we approach the throne of grace on your behalf and strengthen and encourage you in some way? If you have need, come forward, let it be known while we stand and sing together.